We're going to be talking this morning about where true freedom is found. And if you want to be turning in your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 8. We'll be uh, there probably first. And then after that, if you want to go ahead and mark Exodus chapter 6. We're going to be in both of those places this morning. Talking about where true freedom is found, particularly how that pertains to us. But before we get started, I want to share a story with you. And this is a story that may sound familiar to you because I think maybe three or four years ago I shared this with you on a Wednesday night Devo. But it ties in so well with our lesson this morning, I wanted to share it again. In the 1850s and the years following, more than 50,000 slaves per year were sold in the slave markets in Zanzibar. Zanzibar is a city located on the island of Zanzibar in East Africa, and it's in the province or the independent nation of Tanzania. It's in that area. And more than 50,000 slaves per year were sold out of the slave markets there in Zanzibar in the 1850s and the years following. Slaves were brought from all over Africa to this slave market. They were sold to Europe, to the Americas, particularly to India and to China. And then in the years, somewhere in the 1860s, early 1870s, a man by the name of David Livingstone came onto the scene. He was a British missionary, and he began to preach that slavery was wrong and that slaves should be set free. And his preaching was so effective and his work there was so well done that the slave trade in Zanzibar died in 1872. And perhaps what's most interesting about this whole story is that very site where the slave market existed, beginning in 1873 or 1874, they began construction on the Cathedral Church of Christ. That is what's in the midst of Zanzibar, where the slave market once stood. And perhaps more interesting than that even is that in that building, the platform that the slaves were once sold and auctioned off on was still in that building and that was the table that they used for the Lord's Supper. I want you to think about that. Jesus would say in John chapter 8 and verse 36, if the Son makes you free, then you shall be free indeed. As you could imagine, the people of Zanzibar, they loved David Livingstone. So much so, in fact, that when he died and the nation of England demanded to have his body sent back, they cut out his heart and they buried it under a tree. And today there is a memorial, that tree is, is no longer there, but there is a memorial there where his heart is buried, where his heart is buried to, to David Livingstone, the man who set slaves free in Africa. Livingstone met people at the point of slavery in their lives, and so does Jesus. He meets us at the point of our need. He meets us at the point of our shame. He meets us at the place where we are held captive. And He makes grace grow in that very place. And where there was once a slave, now there stands a temple to the Almighty God. And it's called us. In our Sunday mornings, Wes has been bringing us through the book of John. Uh, last week we were in John chapter 6. I have skipped ahead uh, a chapter. I hope that's okay because we're in John chapter 8 this morning. And John chapter 8 is filled with a lot of good information. The first 11 verses we have where the Pharisees are trying to entrap Jesus with 
the adulterous woman. And you'll remember Jesus stoops down at one point and begins writing on the ground. And one by one, her accusers begin to leave her. And Jesus would say to her, is there no one here who condemns you? And, and she would say, there's no one. And he says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more, if you'll allow me to paraphrase. That's the first 11 verses. In verse 12, Jesus would proclaim that he is the light of the world. And where our text is, is going to come from this morning, uh, John chapter 8, really beginning in 31 through 36, as we get closer to that, in verse 28, Jesus would make this great revelation concerning Himself and the cross. And I want to share that with you really quick. He says there in verse 28, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. And in verse 29, He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. And then as we get into verse 30, we, we see that He begins to talk to the multitude, there were many there in the crowd that had, become, that had come to believe in Him and who He was. There were many Jews that He's beginning to talk to. And then verse 31, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, If you abide in My Word, then you are truly My disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There's a process that is going to take place here, and it's a very important process. Jesus said, if you're truly my disciples, then you will abide in my word. And when you abide in my word, then you will have truth. And when you have truth, then you can have freedom. Our freedom is directly related to us abiding in the word of God. There is no freedom without truth. There is no truth to be understood without God's word. And apparently, this offended them. Verse 33 tells us, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? I know we've talked about this, but it's still hard for us to read over this verse when we consider the context of, of what they're actually saying. The fact of the matter is they weren't even free really at this point, were they? They were controlled by the Roman government, and surely they could rewind a little bit and remember the 70 years of Babylonian captivity that they were under. They certainly weren't a free people then. Or they could rewind a little bit farther back, and, and they could have to remember, they have to think about the 400 plus years that they were enslaved to the Egyptians, right? And so when we read this, and, and, the, and they're saying, how can you say that, that, that we will be made free? We've never been in bondage to anyone. Really? Like, what, what are they thinking? How, how can they even make a statement like that? But Jesus is going to go on and explain what He means by that in verse 34. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin. Jesus is not talking about their political or their physical slavery. He's talking about their spiritual slavery. He says, whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin. And essentially what He's telling them, every one of them, and really every one of the ancient Israelites before them, and well, really every one of us sitting in this room this morning, is that we have all been slaves. The whole world has been enslaved to sin. Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
But the problem, well, the problem is, is that we don't really want to call sin, sin. Or we don't, want to, we don't want to call it slavery to sin. What we want to do is we want to redefine it a little bit and make it sound a little bit better. Take the seriousness out of it, the severity out of it. I don't, ha- I'm not a, I don't have a sin problem, I just have an addictive personality. That's just the personality that I have. I mean, that sounds a lot better, doesn't it? The truth of the matter is, we all have addictive personalities. And the Bible calls that slavery. And it's as true for them in John chapter 8 as it was the ancient Israelites before them, all across the country, the entire world, every human personality at some point in their life become enslaved to sin and self and Satan. And as long as we're in that condition, we are not saved. And that's what Jesus is telling them in verse 35. He says, And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. He's reminding them of Abraham's family. You remember the son of the slave, his name was Ishmael. And Ishmael was not allowed to stay in God's house. He couldn't stay in God's house. And the Jews, like Ishmael, were slaves to sin. And as long as they're slaves to sin, they cannot be in God's family. So what's the solution? Well, verse 36 will tell us. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, they can live in denial all they want to, but they have to. They absolutely have to. When he talks about being free and being slaves, they have to go back to Egypt. They have to go back to the 430 years that they were in bondage to the Egyptians there. And I want us to go back there as well. If you've marked Exodus chapter 6, you can go ahead and be flipping over there. Exodus chapter 6. God is going to give them the gospel of freedom. To the children of Israel who are under the yoke of the Egyptians, God is going to give them the gospel of freedom. He gives them seven points. Seven promises that He's going to make to them. And what we find is that the slavery of that day and the solution is actually, in a sense, the exact same slavery and the solution for us today in the 21st century. And we're going to find it right here in Exodus chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. The first part, the first promise is found in the first part of verse 6. And it involves rest from their burdens. He says there, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That had to be good news to them. They had been making bricks without straw. They needed rest. And they couldn't provide that rest for themselves. But God says, the very first promise He makes to them is, I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you rest. I have come to appreciate rest at a deeper level this past week than maybe I have ever in my entire life. I think Morgan would agree with me. Uh, we, we just got back this week from what some consider, many of you have been there, the most magical place on earth. Others would consider it the most expensive and exhausting and busy, crowded, and uh, just terrible place on earth. Um, if you've been there with children, I know which category you fall into. But the one thing that we needed more than anything after two days in that place was rest. And we hadn't been making bricks without straw, but it certainly felt like we were carrying a burden, right? God said, I'm going to give you rest. The value, the importance, the necessity for rest, that's the first promise He makes to them. The second promise is found there in the second part of verse 6. It's deliverance from the power of 
the enemy. He says, I will rescue you from their bondage. They weren't free to free themselves. They couldn't go to their, their master and say, you know what? I don't like how you treat me. And in fact, I've seen this master, how he treats his slave. I think I want to go work for him. They didn't have the ability to do that. The slave never gets to choose his master. But God says, I'm going to deliver you from them. They're not going to be your master anymore. I'm going to be your master now. I'm delivering you from their bondage. The next thing He promises them is redemption by great judgment. Redemption by great judgment. He would say there in the last part of verse 6, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. When you think about the deliverance of the children of Israel, you have to think about the ten plagues. And when you think about the ten plagues, you have to think about the very last plague, the death of the firstborn. The death of the firstborn, and that's when they were set free. And only then, God delivered them with great judgments. Next, in the verse 7, we see that He makes a claim on His people. God makes a claim on His people. He says there, I will take you as My people. He bought them back so that they would become His. He would own them now. They would no longer be owned by the Egyptians, but they would be owned by Him. He bought them back out of the slavery that they were in, and now they are His. And not only that, not only does He make a claim on His people, but He allows His people to claim Him. And He gives assurance to them. He says, I will be your God. I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. He says, I'm not just claiming you, but I'm claiming me to you. I'm going to become a part of you as you are going to be a part of me. And I'm going to be with you. And He was all the way to the promised land. God says, I will be your God. Next, we have the promise of continued guidance. In verse 8, He says, I will bring you into the land. It's not that He's just going to bring them out from under the bondage that they were in and let them wander around in, in the wilderness on their own to fend for themselves, but He says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you all the way to the promised land, and that's what He did. He guided them. And along with that, we have the promise of great possession in the last place. The promise of great possession. He says, I will give it to you as a heritage. These people were slaves. They didn't have anything on their own. And God says, I'm giving you an entire land and it'll be yours. It's a great possession that God gave them. Well, what does that have to do with you and me this morning? You see, I wonder if if we were there in John chapter 8, if we were in that group of people who had come to believe in Jesus, but yet we lived in denial that we had ever really been slaves and that we were even slaves then, would we be like them when He calls us a slave? Would we let pride step in the way and say, slave, I'm an American. I've, I've never been a slave to anybody or anything. I, what are you talking about? Because if we feel that way, then we can never truly be set free. Or, do we take the mindset of Paul? Where in Romans chapter 7, there in verses 14 and 15, he would say this, I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, 
that I do. And then if you drop down to verses 18 and 19, he says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. In a lot of words, Paul is saying I'm a slave. I am a slave. And by my own power and by my own effort, I am unable to free myself. And he gets weary, and we get weary of the burden. We get weary of the guilt. And we begin to feel almost hopeless as if we'll never truly be free. And then Jesus comes into the picture, and He says, if the Son makes you free, then you will be free indeed. And He frees us with the same steps that He freed the ancient Israelites all those years ago. He gives us rest from our burdens. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 tells us, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. He removes the yoke of slavery. He removes the burden of guilt. And finally, we can have rest. Next, He delivers us from the power of the enemy. He delivers us from the power of the enemy. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, Paul would tell them, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus rescued us from death and gave us freedom in that rescue. So that's why when we hear or when we we say, you can come to the church as you are, that's a true statement. You can come to the church as you are. But there's a flip side to that statement that oftentimes gets overlooked. And that is that you can come to the church as you are, but you cannot stay as you are. Because the gospel is a gospel of deliverance and of rescue and emancipation and liberation. A freeing of what we have loved to do by nature and a learning to love what God loves. When we become a child of God, we cannot stay as we are because we, we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We are His. He has bought us. I am mine no more. It's not up to me. We've been rescued. There was a, a, a boat with some people back in 2018 in uh, Nigeria that several people were on this boat going down this river and the boat hit something in the middle of the river and, and capsized and, and many of the people struggled to stay above water. One person in particular, a young man, happened to be a pretty good swimmer, he started rescuing the people that were on the boat that were struggling to live. And, and he went down for one. He, he brought one back up. Two, three, four, thirteen people. He rescued thirteen people. He went down to look for number fourteen. Uh, and he, be, he got exhausted in his search. And while the thirteen people survived that he rescued, sadly, There was no one else. He was number 14, and and through his exhaustion, he died. Jesus rescued us and died. And his death was our rescue. And so to think that I can stay the same and that it doesn't make a difference is to really miss the entire point of what he paid for us entirely. I I could almost hear him saying, I gave my life for thee What have you given to me? What hast thou given to me? 
Next, we have been given redemption by great judgments. If you remember with the ten plagues, and, and again, that final plague being the one that set them free, the death of the firstborn, it's exactly the same for us today. It is through the death of the firstborn that we are set free. Isaiah would say, he, has, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We, just like the ancient Israelites, have been redeemed by the firstborn Son. Not only that, but God has made a claim on us. God told them back in Exodus chapter 6, you will be my people. And He tells us in 1 Corinthians, as Paul would tell them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. And you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. The fact of the matter is, is that He has redeemed me. And according to the words of Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1, He says, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. He laid a claim on us. He bought us back and He brought us out of the slavery that we were under to sin and made us His. But He not only makes a claim on us, but He allows us to claim Him as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, there in verse 16 and also in verse 18, it would say, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You no longer have to bow down to this master. You no longer have to bow down to these idols. He says, I will be your God now. And you no longer have a new master, but you have a new father. What a blessing it is to know that the one who created the world, the one who claims us, the one who bought us back and brought us out of the slavery that we were under is no longer our master, but He is our Father. What a relationship that we have there. Next, we have, just like the children of Israel, the promise of continued guidance. For them, it was going all the way to the promised land, and for us, it's no different. The Hebrews writer would say in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him. Jesus takes us out of the place that we're in and He brings us to a place where we can come home with Him one day. We have the promise of continued guidance. And finally, we have the promise of great possession. We have the promise of great possession. They had the promise of the land of Canaan. We have a home that's waiting for us. In John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, Jesus would say, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself to where I am, there you may be also. God has delivered His people today just like He delivered the Israelites from years and years and years ago. He rescued us from the slavery that we were in. He rescued us and a part of that rescue was His death for us. He was stripped of His clothing so that you and I could be clothed in robes of righteousness. He wore a crown of thorns so you and I could wear 
a crown of eternal life. He was rejected in the city of Jerusalem so that you and I could be accepted in the city of God. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. How do we respond to that? How will you respond to that? Do we let pride get in the way like we so many times do? And we act like the Jews there in John chapter 8, and we live in denial as if we've really ever been slaves to anything or anyone. I hope that that's not us. Jesus will tell them, you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I hope that's not us. I hope that's not us. But on the other side of that, I hope that we, seeing the great sacrifice, seeing the rescue that took place, we decide and we determine that we're going to live for Him. We are going to live for Him. How will you respond to that? As we close, Paul would say in Galatians chapter 5, there in verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. He's saying, don't live like you used to live. You don't have to. I've bought you back. I've delivered you. I've rescued you. I've made a claim on you. I'm going to be your God. I will be your master, but I'll also be your father. So we don't have to live like we used to live. This morning, if there's something, if there's some way that we can help you, if you have been living in sin, you have fallen under the yoke of sin and, and the slavery that you find yourself therein, we can help you this morning. We can pray for you. Or if you realize that you need to wash those sins away through the waters of baptism, well, we can help you with that as well. I hope you'll consider those things, and if you do need to respond in any way, there's no better time than right now, as together we stand and as we sing.